Hello, friends. You know what time it is. It's time for us to find our balls. My name is Jeff Stuckey. Welcome to the Man Made Podcast. I'm riding shotgun, as always, with his hands on the wheel, the Rocket Man. That's right. This is Greg Allen, and my hands are loose on the wheel today, Jeff. I'm just kicking back. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. So let's see where this takes I us. I would not have known that had you not. Uh, so did Elton John get back to us on whether or not we could or could not use Rocket Man? As long as you didn't sing it, he was okay with it being done. Wow. Okay. I'm sorry. That was a fact. Oh, I mean, that, that's fine. I'll, I'll, t- <laughs> I'll accept those conditions. Uh, anything new with you? Anything in your life that... Uh, well, I did want to thank one of our listeners. Yeah, somebody, um, one of our loyal listeners, somehow got a hold of my wife and told her that it looked like I was afraid of her. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. And so I mean, I knew that, but I didn't well, know that your, didn't our, know our loyal listeners knew how that. How can they know? So I went back and listened to the podcast again to say, well, what gave that gave someone that feeling? And the best I can tell is, is just because I put a lot of effort into seeing what her needs are and how to meet them and how to read her and stuff like that. But that's a, another point. Here's what I want to It could to th- also be the fact that anytime you talk about her, you have your hands up as if you're um, at gunpoint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Block it. Don't shoot. Whatever you do, don't shoot. I'll say and do whatever you want. That could be a cue, but I don't know. Okay. Back to the point here. Apologies. So, um, so yeah, it's worked to my favor considerably because... How so? Yeah. So, whenever we're in some kind of... Incident, accident. <laughs> so, like, connect a few dots. So, this listener then goes to your wife mm-hmm. and says what? Says, it looks like Greg is afraid of you. Okay. Yeah, and, I, and it was all in jest, but people, when they say something, there's something Right, there's it. some truth there, right? They said yeah. it for a reason. Yeah. So, beyond the why, I just want to talk about the utility of it. Well, okay, but I have a few more questions, if you don't mind. Uh, then what was the next conversation between you and Mary? Did she come to you and say, Greg, are you in fact afraid of me? Or what was the... Something like that? No, okay. no, not like that at all. She, <laughs> she said, you better straighten that out. <laughs> You're not fucking afraid of me, right? <laughs> so, you know, the way we handle stuff is I said, oh, you're absolutely right. I'll get that straight, you know. But here's the beauty of it. Okay, here's the utility, right? Here's yes. the payoff. Every time something came up for the probably the next four or five days, and she either blamed me or was blaming the world, but I happened to be there for something, uh, I was able to say, well, I'm not afraid of you. <laughs> so, <laughs> Whoa. I know, and that just broke the ice and also, um, or broke the tension or whatever, and also let her see the, the absurdity maybe of the implied accusation. <laughs> nice. Yeah, so like... The other day we were riding in a convertible and she says, well, let's stop here at Costco. I got to pick up two items. So we go in and then we got consumed with the Costco it's effect. Costco design, right? Yeah. You yeah. can't fucking buy two items. Right? No, we knew better than that. And so we go out to the car and we got a, a cart full of items, big box kind of And you're of in the Audi? Yeah. Two seats. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we walk up to it and we both realize at the same time, oh, this is not going to work, you know? So we get the trunk open, we shove things places, try to discard as many big boxes as we can. And then I had to put the top up in order to slip some things behind the seat. And uh, so the, you know, she's like, well, 
we could have taken my car. Why don't we take my car and all that? And I said, listen, I'm not afraid of you. Oh, <laughs> it was great. Yes, sir. I know. And it just, so we both smile about it, you know, but I've about worn it out. So I'm waiting for the next listener to write. Yeah, I was kind of curious what the shelf life on that one was going to be. Cause they're, they're, there's a point of diminishing return to where that's going to fuck you over. Oh, so oh, absolutely. You know that already, yeah, of course. Right? Yeah. And it seems like right now we're still riding it good. Good. All right. <laughs> well, keep us posted on that. And let us know like the approximate shelf life on something like that. Okay. You know, that point of diminishing return to where it works for us. And then all of a sudden it's not funny anymore and mm-hmm. we become an asshole. That's the critical space yeah, that we yeah. all need to be aware of. And it's usually a little bit past where we think it is or, or before, you know, <laughs> way so. before, <laughs> dude, I never put the brakes on even close <laughs> enough before I get to the curb. So, okay. <laughs> all right. Good stuff, man. Uh, so, uh, what do we, what do we got on tap for today? Yeah. So this is a very important topic that, um, I know you have something to to talk about. And if I don't, I'll make it up. So yeah. that's the good thing about me. So a lot of guys go through something that has been termed a midlife crisis. And there, there's some um, ambiguity about what that means. But I think if we talk through it, we can kind of nail down um, how to address the, um, the problems that that causes. Because there's nothing wrong with having a time in your life where you contemplate things a little more deeply. But this notion of a midlife crisis and how to deal with it, um, how to work your way through it where it benefits people <laughs> instead of causing trouble. So, so, uh, have you had one? You're, you're in, you're in that phase of life where. Yeah. See, mine was a little different because mine started at about nine or 10 <laughs> years old. <laughs> in wow. In as much as I'm contemplating life and like, Oh no, am I doing the best for what I can do to. At 10? That but, explains so much about you right yeah. now. <laughs> It and should have been obvious, but it's like, yep, that's that's when you started thinking about it. Yeah, and it, and it never stopped. And I didn't get married till I was forty-two, and so at that point, there's all. And then we had three children immediately. Well, we didn't have them, but they joined our family. Right. And um, and so it's like, okay, I got a whole bunch of things to deal with. I got no time to contemplate much meaning in life, and and, and that just kind of continued. And it's only been recently that I've contemplating uh, mortality. And it's like, okay, we got to make something happen here, but it's not like it's causing me to do anything or it's causing any stress. But that's my story. It's it's probably uh, an anomaly. So what I, about you? Well, you know, I recently turned fifty, and I kind of had a similar experience to that. In that time, became finite for the first time. Mm-hmm. It's like, holy fuck, man! There is mm-hmm. there's a final act to this thing. Yeah, yeah, like. And that was a, just a strange, I don't even really know. I can't articulate it much better than that, than just an aware, just, there was just some kind of a shift of that either I'm not even, I'm just not conscious of time Mm -hmm. and subsequently it seems infinite to where now suddenly I'm conscious, Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's finite and yeah. That came with a, it was kind of a death and a funeral or a funeral and a wedding all at the same time. It was like, <laughs> oh my God. But then it also kind of just seemed to increase this awareness of what, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. Dude, I went full on uh, midlife crisis. Yeah. And obviously as part of my training, uh, and my emphasis has always been working with men, 
So this midlife, this notion of midlife crisis within the context of the man's life has always been something that I would say initially had an awareness of, mostly with negative connotations, like, mm-hmm. you know, oh, those silly bastards that go through their midlife crisis and buy a Corvette and trade their wives in for a younger, <laughs> you know, that, yeah, yeah. that sort of a thing to where I became very curious about it. And to your point, it's unfortunate that the term midlife crisis has stuck mm-hmm. because I think it does, it does lace it with some negative connotations mm-hmm. and subsequently because of that, we try to avoid it. Oh, oh midlife right. crisis. I don't want, I don't want any part of right, that. Right. And, and I've, I think I've said this to you, you know, and, and again, I'm talking about a man's experience. I'm not talking outside of a man's experience. I'm not saying that women don't go through midlife crisis. I'm not, I'm not speaking to any of that. I'm just saying yeah. that within my scope for a man, if a mid, if a midlife crisis is a car, <laughs> the question is, do you want to drive the car or do you want to ride in the passengers? Yeah. Because so. <laughs> you're in the fucking car. <laughs> and it's moving. Huh? It's just, <laughs> which position are you in? Okay. So, so that was kind of my first evolution, if you will, in contemplating the midlife crisis. It is this thing that we are to some degree going to go through and be affected by, for the most, most part, I'm not saying 100%. I kind of want to say that, but, uh, to be intellectually honest, but, um, it's like, okay, so we've got to stop avoiding this and start to embrace it. Mm-hmm. And research is pretty conclusive that in men, our forties, the years in our forties are the most depressed decade of oh. a man's life. Wow. There's a lot of speculation to that as to why that is. A lot of it is, you know, in some respects, you know, at 40, you've started to achieve some things that you thought were going to provide you some level of meaning. And it's like, fuck. (laughs) (laughs) I got that and shit, that didn't, that didn't fix it. There's also a part of it that feels like just being stuck Mm-hmm. You know, I'm at, I'm 40. I got a fucking mortgage. I've got these kids and college, and you know, this sense of I am just stuck right now, which are again another viable component of it. But around that point in life is when you really get to a stage where you kind of start to shake off all of your, or at least really question the influences that have influenced your life. Mm -hmm. And do you, or do you not still ascribe meaning to those influences? And then what do you, what do you do? Yeah. But part of the problem has been, that rather than acknowledging that, okay, it, and this is going to, you know, 
cheesy therapy <laughs> moment in five, four, three, two, one. <laughs> if we looked at it more as a midlife awakening, oh, and I man. can't even believe I said, I, I know that doesn't sound like you, but <laughs> <laughs> you'll get you'll get a better word eventually. <laughs> but it's just the right word. That's the problem. Mm-hmm. And if we looked at it from that perspective of an awakening, and I think that is really, really important for, for men. It's really important for their relationship with their wives, for them to, first of all, that I embrace it, right? Okay, yeah. I'm, I'm going to go through this process of intense questioning Mm -hmm. of, and that's really what it is. It's a period of just intense questioning. Mm -hmm. Now, what happens, right? Because men don't do vulnerability, right? Fuck yeah. that shit. <laughs> so do I want to engage into this period of intense questioning? And the other thing is that I don't, you know, a phrase that you and I have used in the past is that the eye cannot see itself, mm -hmm. right? right? So men don't have adequate relationships with other men. Right. So in that, we really are even that much, that much more isolated. Mm -hmm. And so I go buy a Corvette, yeah, so, stereotypically speaking, right? right? Yeah. Or some kind of an impulsive thing. So we look for an external remedy. Oh, okay. Rather do, than doing the internal exploration. All right. I was wondering what that connection was. You know, I mean, it's an internal issue we have going on. Well, you're saying instead of addressing that, we just go, well, let's just take this outside thing and see if we can fix it, even though we don't even know what we're dealing with. Right. And so it becomes this, this massive whiplash effect in that one midlife crisis. I'm not having a midlife crisis. That's mm -hmm. just nonsense, you know, number one. And then, then I start to have these intense internal vulnerable feelings, which from our socialization, right? Avoid that shit. Yeah. yeah. And so then that, pushes me externally. Mm -hmm. And so then I can, I can really ransack the externals of my life. Mm -hmm. I can project that unhappiness out on my wife. I can project that mm -hmm. unhappiness out on my, um, my employment, any of those. Kind, I can just all of the sudden, because I'm externalizing that, mm -hmm. I can make these radical changes in my life that oftentimes wreck the landscape of my life. And then that's, that's really what gave it those connotations of a midlife crisis. Yeah. 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 And does that give us something else to focus on then? It's like a, a distraction. It's of like, course. Right. Okay. Cause we don't want to do that vulnerable thing. Yeah, yeah. And, and I will tell you uh, from a personal experience, right? So for me, part of my midlife crisis and mine started probably the cracks in the foundation started in my late thirties. And the biggest was for me, the role of religion in my life going forward. And religion's fine for, if it's fine for you, but for me, it was, this, this creates so much cognitive distance. It creates so much discomfort. Mm -hmm. But bro, I had built my entire fucking life yeah. around this, and man. Your career to some extent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so you get caught in that place mm -hmm. where you're like, do I 
explore this part of me and potentially unravel everything that I built, mm-hmm. it, it, which is what's funny about this is when you walk away from religion, <laughs> it ain't the same as when you come into religion. When you come into religion, people are really excited and they yeah. think good thoughts about <laughs> you and they're like, hey, brother, you know, all of this kind of stuff. Yeah. But when you walk away from religion, most people don't give you like, a hey, that's cool. It's yeah. like, oh, do you, did you... Did you hear about Jeff Stuckey? Did you? Oh, <laughs> yeah. goodness. Yeah. You know, he, uh, another fallen soldier <laughs> kind of thing. And it's yeah. like, it's cool, man. I'm not, I, I'm just at the place in my life where that is not useful for me to manage my reality. I'm still the same person that I have always been. I still, the core beliefs that I have haven't changed the context that I put them in is very different, but it caused for me. So, and I know all this shit, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'm already like, woohoo, I'm ready for my midlife awakening. Right. <laughs> and I'm singing Kumbaya and shit. And, uh, dude, it was hard. Yeah, it was hard. And came at a very high price to my mental health because, and and where I got stuck, Greg, was adhering to that system was what was making me depressed. Mm Mm-hmm. And as I pulled away from that and tried to start to explore my new identity, I thought the pulling away was the source of my depression. Mm -hmm. And so then I'd plug myself, oh, you know, well, I need to read. And so I just got stuck in this loop where it just was like I wasn't reading cause and effect accurately. Mm -hmm. And, and And again, I didn't have adequate friends. I had a fairly high level of exploring my vulnerable emotions only because my clinicals forced me into it. I mean, I went into that (laughs) shit kicking and screaming. Yeah. (laughs) I remember, um, this is a true story and I wish it weren't true, but, um, in one of my first classes, one of my professors, his name was uh, French Jones and, Mm. uh, just uh, uh, like a Louisiana gentleman. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so brilliant, so sophisticated. And, you know, I'm, you know, we've talked about the Dunning-Kruger effect. You don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. Dude. That was you. Right? Oh, <laughs> and uh, if I could go back to younger Jeff, I would just have one word of advice. Keep your fucking mouth shut. <laughs> just yeah. shut up. Yeah. But anyway, um, I have to learn things the hard way. But I remember Dr. Jones saying, it takes a secure person to be honest about their insecurity. And the room was hushed with the gravity of what he said. And I, being the <laughs> idiot that I am, raised my hand yeah. and said, that's, that's incoherent. Like that doesn't, like a secure person doesn't have insecurities. 
<laughs> and Dr. Jones looked at me with just that, you know, he could do like the stinging little contempt mm -hmm. look, but it would, it just was so perfect. And he said, yeah, Jeff, I know that's what you think. <laughs> and of course I'm still like, wait, what? Like, <laughs> but I still can't keep my mouth shut. Oh no. Um, and so even that, right. Not, not having those things, it's still made that process really, really difficult. Mm -hmm. And so I say all of that to say that the midlife crisis is such a critical stage for men. Mm -hmm. It can be this passage into a, again, I'm talking like a fucking therapist right now and I apologize. <laughs> but into that authentic self yeah. that we have talked Absolutely. about. Yeah. And it's terrifying. Yeah. And a guy has to go through that anyway to get to the authentic self that we promote. It's like, you're going to have to go through it. The fact that this midlife time forced it. I mean, that's great. Right. You know, you could do it sooner. If you yeah, like. <laughs> if, and if you start it sooner, the process is going to be that much more familiar because Again, there's that stage in our development at our 40s where, you know, as we've talked about, our primary orientation to reality is power, success, achievement, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Power, success, achievement. Set a goal, achieve a goal, set a new goal. Set a goal, achieve a goal, set a new goal. Yeah. So in our 40s, most of the time, we get to some state of stability, Mm -hmm. And we start to experience some of those things, right? We, mm -hmm. we may buy the house that we thought we'd never had, we would never have, or the car or the, whatever it is, whatever that achievement we get in our forties, we kind of get to that place to where it's like, that didn't mean what I thought it was going to mean. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's why for me, thinking of it in terms of an awakening, and we do have to find a better word. Okay. God, I, <laughs> I get the mouth sweats when I say it, yeah. you know, that pre-throw up little feeling in your mouth. <laughs> okay. Where, what is really important to me? What do I really value? Mm -hmm. And when we start to answer those questions, that's, to quote Kenny Chesney, I mean, that, that truly is the good stuff. Yeah, That's yeah. where we really start to find this thing called meaning mm -hmm. that goes mm -hmm. so far beyond just achievement. You know, I don't think you could remember this, but years ago, uh, it's probably about four or five years ago, I was complaining to you about some situation that I wasn't able to manage through. I was getting through it, but I was complaining as it was happening. And, uh, and you pointed out, well, what is important? What's important in the whole situation? And that aligned all my focus. It's like, okay, I can put up with this and that. I can work harder at this or whatever, because it was all headed towards a, a main purpose, a, a meaning that I wanted to achieve. And and it was fine. All the, the stuff that went with it just didn't seem to be a problem anymore. It was still stuff to deal with, but it's like, wow, that clarified that, you know? And that was just a... Well, I want to say that was just a random comment you made, but I'm sure it was well thought out and should be documented somewhere. Well, of course. I mean, <laughs> I, that's just part and parcel with being a shaman. Um, <laughs> so what do we do now? 
<laughs> now that we're <laughs> now that we're uh, embracing our midlife crisis, what what? Have, yeah, well, I think part of it, and it may have slipped past, is that we don't want to define it as oh, at that time in my life, I went out and bought a car or bought a boat or did something crazy. You know, that's not the midlife crisis. That's just something that you did, some symptom of something you ignored. So, if we could if we could look at it like okay, this is the time in my life where I'm gonna contemplate mortality. I'm going to look deeper into meaning, and I'm going to come to grips with the fact that not everything that I thought was going to happen happened up until this point in my life. So, and there's probably more to it, but if you could throw that on the table and say, well, let's sort through that. And then uh, a guy's not going to have the tools to do that. (laughs) So maybe you could help us see where do we go for that? So all these are on the table. Where do we go for a little bit of help on how to sort this out and manage it? You know, there there's a study that is, it's a longitudinal study. It's called Harvard Men's Study. It's in its 75th, I don't know, it, it's yeah. longitudinal. It, and so the gist of the study is, and my mind always goes back to this when I'm contemplating or discussing quote-unquote men's issues, it just, it just, it always comes back to this. So at the end of life, and I can't remember exactly how it's described, it, it seems like post-retirement. And the reason that it's called the Harvard's Men's Study is Harvard was at one point in time an all-male institution. It's certainly gone beyond that now. But this particular study, as it relates to men's lives and the quality of their lives has continued on. And so what they'll do is in post-retirement, they'll ask a Harvard graduate, what would you rate your overall quality of life and what contributed most to that overall quality of life? Mm -hmm. So this is adequate sample size. I mean, this is such critical information and it's like why this isn't talked about incessantly, but the men, and this has been over again, 75 plus years now, the men who rated their quality of life experience the highest always attributed it to one thing. And the way that they articulated it was the thing that contributed to my quality of life the most is I have friends who love me. And that just fucking astounds me every time I think about that. We know the answer to the test. Mm -hmm. Like we actually know that men who are type A, high achiever, all of that kind of shit, who went through a Harvard education and then their entire life came back to one key principle. (laughs) Yeah. The quality of life that I experienced depended on having friends who love me. Yeah. And I I don't know about for you, I'll let you speak to that, but that's panned out, man. Mm-hmm. Like I've got I've got you, I've got three or four or five other guys that I love them, mm-hmm. they love me. Mm-hmm. I don't say that 
Right, because that violates some kind of bro code. <laughs> yeah. I say it as they got my back. Yeah. <laughs> that feels, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I still got too much West Side in, to, yeah, in me. Yeah. To, although I can say midlife awakening, so there is some incongruence there. <laughs> but I say all that to say that I can't emphasize enough that at what, whatever stage in life you are in, that's the first step. That is the first step is getting guys around you that you feel that positive rapport, that connection that will make as much time for you as you make for them mm -hmm. and will tell you the truth that you need yeah. to hear. Yeah. And so many times that truth is actually more positive, mm -hmm. you know, cause we're always talking about like men's accountability and holding each other accountable and that kind of shit, which that's fine, you know, but man, that was one of the, no offense, but like back in my religious days, like when I was in a men's group, we'd essentially sit around and talk about Mm -hmm. How much of idiots we were. <laughs> How much of a fuck up were you this week? Pretty much a fuck up. Oh, we didn't say it that way. We, yeah. used, <laughs> we used appropriate religious language. Right. But it was like you'd walk away from there like, wow, I guess I'll go back and do that. But as men, man, where I see we neglect each other is celebrating each other and mm -hmm. celebrating with each other. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And man, there's fucking power in that. Yeah. So yeah. telling each other the truth isn't just like, it's like, dude, you killed that. Dude, mm -hmm. you, you are so good at that. You're just those kinds of things. If I could say, you know, the truth is like a fine wine. It has a taste that does not appeal to children. That's the truth that we need to start telling each other as men mm -hmm. is really celebrating each other. Yeah. Absolutely. God, there's incredible power in that. Yeah. Well, that's great. Yeah. So that's going to be like um, a solution. I mean, we need to be working through that all the time. But the main thing right now is if a guy is stuck in this uh, contemplation stage, so he needs to reach out to friends and say, hey, help me walk through this. You know, you don't know any more than I do necessarily, but we can walk through this together because there's things that I can't see about myself. And then it also goes back to the conversation that we had before about secrets, right? Oh, yeah. And so when we're going through this struggle and we keep it a secret, it doesn't feel like we're keeping a secret, right? We, we typically, when we think of keeping a secret, it's just, you know, like hiding my affair or my yeah. cocaine addiction or my whatever, you know? And it's, it's like, no, when we're, mm. where we met, we, we really suffer as men is when we keep our vulnerable emotions secret. Mm -hmm. And by definition, a secret does harm to someone. Mm hmm and when we keep our vulnerable emotions a secret, guess who it does harm to? Yeah, no, to us. To us. Yeah. Right. And that's what then lends itself to some kind of a compulsive behavior, yeah. that distraction. Yeah. And, and so it, my encouragement would be if you're having a midlife crisis— Jump the fuck in. Let's go. Yeah, yeah. Come on in. The water is freezing and it will take your breath away. But whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. That's right. Yeah. And start to really rethink your notion of that. 
and allow yourself to be, if you've kind of thought midlife crisis, I'm too strong of a man for any of that sort of mm -hmm. thing. No, you're not. You're either, you're, if that's the way you're thinking, you're in the passenger seat. Good luck to you. Mm -hmm. um, anyone that wants to get into the driver's seat, try to reformulate the way that you think about that. Try to let yourself, rather than avoid it, be open to whatever it may lead you to. Mm -hmm. It could be an external fix. I'm not saying mm -hmm. that for some people that, a midlife crisis awakening. Maybe it is getting a Corvette. Maybe mm -hmm. it's about fucking time you went and bought the Corvette. Right, right. As long as that is a conscious intentional, mm -hmm. that is a result of that exploration. So mm -hmm. I don't mean to, I don't mean to rule anything out that might not be a part of that process. But the most important part of the process is starting inside out. Mm -hmm. And then again, the eye cannot see itself. Mm -hmm. And so that I have guys around me that will tell me the truth that I need to hear. Yeah. And what I have found in my own life, what I have found in the lives of my clients, what I have found to just be a universal truth is that when you have people in your tribe that celebrate you, mm -hmm. dude, that's what we're fucking looking for. Yeah. Yeah. To have somebody that will tell me what I'm really fucking good at and isn't threatened by it. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't get in those pissing matches like, well, you know, um, <laughs> it's just like that we genuinely, authentically celebrate each other. That's where the fucking midlife crisis begins. Yeah. And that is the good stuff. Yeah, that's great. And I wasn't going to bring this up, but it fits so well. <laughs> I'll be the judge of that, Greg. Okay. Well, I pause there so we can cut this out <laughs> if we need to. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we just did a, a pre-release on a book called Empathy, Integrity, and Amazing Grapes. <laughs> and so it's celebrating uh, men who got it right. So there's 10 stories about men that worked hard and managed to get something right. And so we want to celebrate that. And, and the purpose is so that you can see that, learn to do it in yourself, and learn to champion the successes of other men. So um, that just went to print last week. It'll be available into June. Uh, we should have an ebook available soon. So, um, And the title again? Empathy, Integrity, and Amazing Grapes. Hmm. <laughs> I'm not going to give away the meaning, but clearly I did not come up with that title. Oh, no, no, you didn't at all. <laughs> I guess I guess my suggestion for the title <laughs> got cut. Yeah, it didn't. Actually, I don't know that it got really much evaluation or Didn't get much consideration at all. No, sorry. All right, so we'll be looking for that. Think of that as kind of the evaluation of case studies, mm -hmm. and which is so... It's so helpful when you can read somebody else's narratives and just kind of the real concrete, actual, mm -hmm. this is, you know, this is their backstory. This is what they were confronted with. They, those, those kinds of things are so useful because, you know, oftentimes our, our conversations are, are more conceptual and it's like, mm -hmm. I kind of know what we're talking yeah. about, but yeah. if I had something that accompanied that, that made it a little bit more real. Right. Uh, and that's what these narratives will do. There are, they are just some blueprints that 
won't fit exactly on your life, mm-hmm. um, but at least will make things a little bit more concrete for you so you're able to attach those action steps that really bring around, bring about change in your life. Yeah. Well, that's great. Man, yeah. we, I think we pulled it off today. What do you think? Did it seem okay? You didn't have any notes. You left your glasses at home. <laughs> um, yeah. You're not afraid of your wife. I'm relaxed. What do you think? Here? You're going to report back to us on how long that remains useful and yeah. then when it does not become useful. Yeah, and I'll tell you that whenever I get to that point, I'll say, you know what? It was about a week prior to what I'm telling you because it'll take a week for me to figure out it ain't working. Yeah, right. Okay, that's good. <laughs> um, as always, man, it's been a blast. I yeah. always appreciate the discussion. Um yeah. Give us, uh, give us your feedback on our Facebook. How do they do that? Yeah, at Becoming Man Made Today, Instagram, at Becoming Man Made. And uh, as always, you can check out the website, becomingmanmade.com. Do you do Instagram? No. No. I was like, I don't, oh, that's what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> We've got people for uh, The that. fact that you even know what Instagram is, I mean, that's cool. But uh, anyway, as always, thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye.